good morning again, Tabernacle. Thank you for being with us on this icy December Sunday morning, especially those in Manistee. We know you're closer to the lake. In summer, that's good, but right now you're getting dumped on, I'm sure. Uh, but we are one church in two locations, and uh, uh, hopefully, God willing, we'll be one church in three. So I was thinking this week about uh, January 11th, 1992. My wife and I were both seniors in college, and uh, uh, we chose to get married in January before, uh, well, we knew we weren't graduating. We took a fifth year of victory lap. That's what happens when you change majors five times. But uh, um, we got married, and I was just so excited because we found a place. Both of us were coming out of college housing where I'd been for the four years prior in the boys' situation. She was in a girl's dorm and then in an apartment. And we found a tiny little apartment that we could afford. It was not much more than a studio. I mean, I'm saying um, you could fit the whole apartment probably on the stage here in T2 or on the stage in uh, uh, T77 there in Manistee. It was tiny is what I'm trying to say. A little kitchenette. You know, and, and I'm kind of a big picture guy. I wasn't thinking about all those details. My wife is very focused on the details. I was just glad that we had a place, that we had our own spot with a kitchenette. We got a couple plates, a couple of cups. I don't care. We'll sit on the floor, right? I wasn't thinking about all the stuff that comes with the inside. And this is important because the last couple of weeks, uh, we've, we've been looking at this temple that Solomon is building, a house for the name of the Lord. But we really focus on the outside, maybe a little bit on the walls and the ceiling on the inside. But just like with my apartment, I wasn't focused about furnishings at all. We got a mattress, which I think we had to bend in half to get it into the tiny little bedroom. And it's like, what do we need furniture for? We'll get some like uh, camp, camp chairs and put the television on the floor. We don't care, right? At least in my mind. But that's not in her mind, right? So then we had to have a discussion on why we needed curtains. It's like, why we need curtains for? Just tack up some sheets, call it good. <laughs> Typical dude. Now, remember, I'd been in the boys' dorm, right? And so, I mean, th- that, that we would need something to put the television on, who cares? That we would need something more than a camp chair or a beanbag chair? You know, I was just want to stare into your eyes, baby. I mean, why, why do we need all this, right? If we have two plates, two cups, two forks, two knives, two spoons, we're good because it's you and me forever. How wrong I was. The details matter. You got to furnish that. You got to have, you know, place settings. And what if we have company? I don't know where we're going to put them, right? Or one of our first big discussions, I won't call it a fight, and I don't remember. She'll correct me and tell me all the exact details. But I think it had something to do with, hey, well, let's just go out to eat. And we're on a very tight budget. She said, well, that's not in the budget. What do you mean? I know what the budget is. We have money for that. Well, I had to buy cleaning supplies. What do you need cleaning supplies for? I never, the only cleaning supplies I bought in four years was the, the, the windshield wiper cleaner I put in my car. <laughs> I am the guy, and here's his confession, probably too much information. I went to college and I had the sheets that my mom sent me with, the pillow and the pillowcase and the blanket. And I put those, you know, the bed stuff on my bed in the boys, situa- the boys dorm. And I washed them at Christmas. Well, I don't pee the bed. What's the deal? You know? And then, you know, then we put them on in January, and I washed them again in June. Needless to say, you could see the outline of my body 
on my sheets. My point is this. God's commanded Solomon to build this temple, but God also cares about the details of the furniture and the furnishings and all the stuff that goes on the inside of the temple. So if you have a Bible, if you would turn to 1 Kings chapter 7, we're going to look at the second half of that chapter, and, and it's, it's a challenging passage. It's not impossible, but it's challenging if you're not concerned about details, if you're not concerned about the inside. But remember, all of these things in the Old Testament are a shadow of the things to come. And if you remember just a few short weeks ago, I said that in the building of the temple, there's about three chapters that are all about the specifics, that it's not just an ancient building that no longer stands. It's also a picture of what God is doing in the life of a believer. So we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 7, and we'll try to make it not um, uh, super dense, but it is. I'm just going to warn you, but we're the tabernacle. We can handle it. All right, But I'd also invite you, if you are using a Bible, to also turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and then you'll be ahead of the game. And so we're looking at the furniture and the furnishings, God's furniture, inside the temple. I'm also reading from the CSB, because there's a, only a few short weeks before Britton is gone. It's his favorite translation. Wasn't he awesome last week? He probably needs to calm down a little bit. I'm afraid he's going to have an aneurysm or something. But... Um, now, this is his favorite. It's the CSB, also known as the CBD, but let's just keep going. It's accurate. Verse 13, it said, King Solomon had Hiram brought from Tyre. He was a widow's son from the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a bronze craftsman. Hiram had great skill, understanding, and knowledge to do every kind of bronze work. So he came to King Solomon and carried out all his work. So just a brief word about him, and I, I have to break this up or you're going to get lost. Um, he's not a Jewish guy, but his mother uh, was of the nation of Israel, but his father was a Gentile uh, from Tyre, and Tyre was known for their bronze work. So this is not King Hiram that we talked about a couple weeks ago. It's a different guy of the same name, but he's really good at what he does. And so Solomon hires him for all of the furniture and the furnishings. Verse 15, he casts two bronze pillars, each 27 feet high and 18 feet in circumference. He also made two capitals of cast bronze to set on top of the pillars. Seven and a half feet was the height of the first capital. Seven and a half feet was also the height of the second capital. The capitals on top of the pillars had gratings of lattice work, wreaths made of chain work, seven for the first capital, seven for the second. He made the pillars with two encircling rows of pomegranates on, on the one grating to cover the capital on top. He did the same for the second capital. And the capitals on top of the pillars in the portico were shaped like lilies, six feet high. The capitals on the two pillars were also immediately above the rounded surface next to the grating. And 200 pomegranates were in rows encircling each capital. He set up the pillars at the portico of the sanctuary. He set up the right pillar and named it Jachin. Then he set up this left pillar and named it Boaz. The tops of the pillars were shaped like lilies. Then the work of the pillars was completed. So these are just two giant pillars. Uh, it says that they were 27 feet high, 18 feet around. They're cast of bronze, and they sit at the entrance, and they each have a name. One is called Jachin. One is called Boaz. And all of the stuff that we're going to look at, because the chapter is going to get longer, they all have meaning. They all have meaning, significant meaning. So let's keep going. Verse 23. 
He made the cast metal basin, 15 feet from brim to brim, perfectly round. It was seven and a half feet high and 45 feet in circumference. Ornamental gourds encircled it below the brim, 10 every half yard, completely encircling the basin. The gourds were cast in two rows when the basin was cast. It stood on 12 oxen, three facing north, three facing west, three facing south, and three facing east. The basin was on top of them and all their hindquarters were toward the center. The basin was three inches thick and its rim was fashioned like the brim of a cup or of a lily blossom. It held 11,000 gallons. So the basin, which in some translations is more accurately called the sea, as in ocean, S-E-A, all right? This is essentially a giant bronze above ground pool on the backs of these statues of oxen. And all of this, if you'll notice, there's intricacy, there's detail, there's pomegranates, there's leaves, there's gourds. It's pointing to life and beauty. Verse 27. Then he made 10 bronze water carts. Each water cart was six feet long, six feet wide, and four and a half feet high. This was the design of the carts. They had frames. The frames were between the cross pieces, and on the frames between the cross pieces were lions, oxen, and cherubim. On the cross pieces, there was a pedestal above, and below the lions and oxen were wreaths of hanging work. Each cart had four bronze wheels with bronze axles. Underneath the four corners of the basin were cast supports, each next to a wreath. And the water cart's opening inside the crown on top was 18 inches wide. The opening was round, made as a pedestal, 27 inches wide. On it were carvings, but their frames were square, not round. There were four wheels under the frames, and the wheel axles were part of the water cart. Each wheel was 27 inches tall. The wheel's design was similar to that of chariot wheels. Their axles, rims, spokes, and hubs were all of cast metal. Four supports were at the four corners of each water cart. Each support was one piece with the water cart. At the top of the cart was a band nine inches high, encircling it. Also at the top of the cart, its braces and its frames were one piece with it. He engraved cherubim, lions, and palm trees on the plates of its braces and on its frames. Wherever each had space, with encircling wreaths. In this way, he made the 10 water carts using the same casting dimensions and shape for all of them. Is anyone lost yet? It's okay, remember they didn't have iPhones. Okay, so he couldn't click a pic and put it on you know, the socials to show you what it looked like. And so he's describing, he was a first person witness, what this looked like for people who would never see it. Because many people would never see these things in the temple complex or in the temple itself. And so he's trying to give us an idea that it's not just a bunch of practical stuff, it's beautiful. See, when I moved into an apartment, I wanted it to be all practical. My wife was like, no, curtains matter. Curtains matter. And I'm gonna pick the color, and there'll be a certain type. And, and I'm gonna tell you, since then, we did, our curtain game just gets nicer and nicer. <laughs> it's the same thing with the bed. Why all the pillows? I don't know. We don't, we only each, you know, use, well, I use two, she uses, or I use one, she uses two, but there's 16 on the bed. <laughs> Gentlemen, be happy you get to sleep there. <laughs> Verse 38, then he made 10 bronze basins. Each basin held 220 gallons and each was six feet wide. One basin for each of the 10 water carts. Set five water carts on the right side of the temple, five on the left side. He put the basin near the right side of the temple toward the southeast. 
Then Hiram made the basins, the shovels, and the sprinkling basins. We're going to furnish this place with all the stuff needed for the ritualistic, sacrificial worship that God had outlined. So Hiram finished all the work that he was doing for King Solomon on the Lord's temple. Two pillars, bowls for the capitals that were on top of the pillars, the two gratings for covering both bowls of the capitals that were on top of the pillars, the 400 pomegranates for the two gratings, two rows of pomegranates for each grating covering both capital bowls on top of the pillars, the 10 water carts, the 10 basins on the water carts, the basin, the 12 oxen underneath the basin, and the pots, shovels, and sprinkling basins. All the utensils that Hiram made for King Solomon at the Lord's temple were made of burnished bronze. The king had them cast in clay molds in the Jordan Valley between Succoth and Zarethan. Solomon left all the utensils unweighed because there were so many. The weight of the bronze was not determined. Solomon also made all the equipment in the Lord's temple, the gold altar, the gold table that the bread of the presence was placed on, the pure gold lampstands in front of the inner sanctuary, five on the right and five on the left, the gold flowers, lamps, and tongs, the pure gold ceremonial bowls, wick trimmers, sprinkling basins, ladles, and fire pans, and the gold hinges for the doors of the inner temple, that is the most holy place, and for the doors of the temple sanctuary. Friends, even the hinges were made of gold. They just didn't choose steel or black or bronze and put a couple of GRKs in the frame and call it good. Gold hinges. Are you with me? So all the work King Solomon did in the Lord's temple was completed. Then Solomon brought in the the consecrated things of his father David, the silver, the gold, and the utensils, and he put them in the treasuries of the Lord's temple. So forever we're saying that there's no wasted words in scripture, but you come to a place like this and it can be a little confusing, right? For me, it's like, man, this feels a little dense. It's a little confusing. It's a little detailed. But I try to remind myself, it's not dense. I'm dense. It's not confusing. I'm confused. It's not the problem with the word. There's a reason that God wants us to see all these things. And remember, all these furnishings in the house for the name of the Lord, they matter. And so to be helpful with people for me is I like pictures. So we'll bring out a picture of the temple again. We shared this a couple weeks ago. This is a cutaway. Remember, this is so we could see the inside and the outside. And we'll just start. You see that one large bronze pillar there. There was actually two, but remember, it's a cutaway. So if one was named Jachin and one was named Boaz, the one on the right was Boaz, we're looking at Boaz, and you can only see the base of Jachin. Well, what's the meaning? Those pillars didn't hold up the temple. But remember what I said, the picture of the temple is a shadow of the things to come. The picture of the temple is the same thing God's doing in the life of a believer. And so these temples, the meaning of the names, Jachin meant he has established. He has established. Remember the promise that God made to David, that I will establish your kingdom, I will establish your throne, I will establish this nation, I will establish my name. He has established. It was a reminder God did this. God made this possible. God is the one who establishes us. 
And the pillar on the right, Boaz, that means by his strength or he is our strength. So none of this happened because Solomon's perfect. None of this happened because David's a man after God's own heart. This happened because God is good. It was God's purpose. God decided to establish it and it's by his strength that it's happened. And you have these two giant 27 foot tall pillars made of bronze that are 18 feet around with capitals on top that's like a big giant bull that makes them even higher. It makes them even higher. That's the meaning for the people as they come into that place. That big above ground or jacuzzi looking pool thing right down at the bottom of the picture. That's the basin or the sea. And it held all those, what, 11,000 gallons full of water. Well, what was that about? Well, I think it's significant it's called a sea. For, the, for ancient people, the sea was a place of danger. It was a place of fear. It still is if you're from northern Michigan, right? I mean, you guys will hunt a deer down, gut them with your teeth. You'll go into Lake Michigan and hunt the salmon or whatever. But if you're in three feet of salt water, where I come from, you're like, are there sharks in here? <laughs> right? I know you Michigan dudes, right? But if you look at that, there's the sea and it's contained. It's contained. God, the maker of the sea, holds the earth and the sea in his hands. And he's the God that can bring peace out of chaos. He's also the God that have led them out of slavery, out of Egypt, and he parted the sea. He controls it. There's peace out of our chaos. But it was more than that. The water was used for cleansing. A reminder that God is holy and we are not. God is perfect and good and we are full of sin. And for us to come near to God, we have to be cleansed. The priests had to use that water for cleansing. They had to cleanse sacrifices, cleanse the utensils that they would use to bring the sacrifices on that bonfire looking thing on the right side of the picture. Everything in the temple had to be cleansed, literally and symbolically or ritually. You couldn't go into the temple without being cleansed. And normal people couldn't even go. It was only priests. And into the most holy place, only the high priest and that once a year. So we need that water for the cleansing. That's also why we need the carts. You see five of them there. And that was, I mean, that was a lot of verses about how intricate those carts were. I mean, they could have just been practical. Hey, can we just bring a hose? No, we're gonna have carts. And the carts are gonna be, you know, wreaths and lattice work. And there's no just plain spaces. It's all gonna be ornate and beautiful and detailed. They would bring the carts to the places where they were doing the cleansing. We see five there because there were five on one side and five on the other. And then if you go into the inside, and remember, this is just a shadow. Don't be coming in with some idea, hey, uh, Pastor John, I got an idea. I want to I wanna, uh, uh, do the floor in T2 and I want it to all be gold. How about you just write a check? And we'll use that for something else. But um, I don't know where that came from. Uh, big gift still open. But... Um, but if you look there, you see the guy in the blue, um, you see that little altar in front of him. That's different from the altar where the sacrifices were. That was the altar of incense. And right in those last few verses, he said that, um, that he made all the equipment, the gold altar, the gold table, and the lampstands. That, that little altar made of gold is where they would burn incense and it was a symbol of God's prayers rising like a sweet aroma to heaven. A reminder that God heard their prayers and there was communion. And if that's true of the old temple, what about you and me? The altar of incense. 
directly behind him. That's the bread of the presence, a table, a golden table for the bread of the presence. It reminded them of how God had provided for them in the wilderness with manna. Remember that? Slaves in the wilderness, those of you that were here for Exodus or you've read it on your own or whatever, it's, what are we gonna eat? At least in Egypt, we had food. And then God provides every morning bread on the ground, manna. And if they tried to collect it, if they tried to hoard it, if they tried to keep it, it would spoil. Nope, every day, day by day, he provides what you need. You know, those of you that get that little Devo, you know, that little Christian Devo, our daily bread, still get it in the mail. I didn't know they were still going until I saw one around the church office. I mean, I remember that from when I was a little kid. You guys know what I'm talking about? Don't look at me like I'm a weirdo. Our daily bread. It's named for the bread of the presence, that he's our daily bread. And so the bread of the presence, there was bread that sat on that table to remind them that God is the provider. He provided for us in the wilderness. He provides for us now. And lastly, if you look, you see the, the, the lamps on the right side of the building on the inside there. Now, remember, everything on the inside of that temple was gold. Gold ceiling, gold wall. It was all covered in gold. Everything was gold. Floor was gold. And now we've got golden lampstands. And I can only imagine when the five on the right and the five on the left were all lit. With all that gold, it was more spectacular than anything Clark Griswold could come up with. <laughs> Just light. Well, what is that? Well, God, who spoke light into existence, it's a reminder that he is our light. He says his word is a light to our way, to our feet, to our path, that he is the guide. He's the one that brings light and joy and life. And so all of this stuff had meaning. It all had meaning for them. But in time that we have left, what about us? Because this is a nice little detailed ancient thing and I've only scratched the surface. This is why I said to keep your finger over in Ephesians 2 because we're gonna try to tie this temple together with what God's doing in us right now. Now, in, in, I don't wanna read this whole part, but the second half of Ephesians chapter 2, it reminds us, because this was written to non-Jewish people, which most of us are. He's, he reminds you that remember at one time you were Gentiles in your flesh, that you were uncircumcised. You weren't part of the nation of Israel. You weren't part of all this. This is the old covenant. This wasn't you. And not only that, it says you were excluded from the citizenship of the people of God. You were foreigners to God's promises. You had no hope. You had no God. But it says in verse, th in verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So if I used to not be a Christian, but the blood of Christ has brought me near, what it's saying that in Christ, now all this matters to me. Because this is now part of my history of the family that I've been grafted into. We've been brought near. We were far from God. The only way to come close to God is through Jesus Christ and through his blood. In verse 14, he says, he is our peace. In verse 15, it speaks about the law. In verse 17, he says, he, Jesus, came and proclaimed good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. Verse 18 says, now we have access to the Father. So all of this stuff in the Old Testament was to remind us how completely other God is and how completely unworthy we are. 
Even to come near him, I have to have a blood sacrifice and it's gotta be cleansed and I can't even do it. I gotta get a priest to do it and he's gotta cleanse and have a sacrifice for his cleansing so then he can then purely and ritually offer my sacrifice and then he has to offer my prayer and there's the incense and there's the bread and now I'm confused. But that's what it was to say, listen, it isn't just as simple as, oh, I love Jesus, okay, we're good. He's he's trying to explain how big the gap is between us and God. But through Jesus Christ, we've been brought near. Verse 19 says, you're no longer foreigners. You're not strangers, you're fellow citizens. And that this whole thing in verse 20 is built on the foundation of the apostles and and prophets. Christ Jesus himself is at the cornerstone. And now get this, verse 21 and 22. This is what ties it together. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. He's speaking of the church. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. He said he would build the church. The gates of hell wouldn't prevail against the church. And we're being built into that beautiful thing. We, together, living sacrifices, living people, his spirit in us. And then in verse 22, In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. And so in those two verses, he says that that temple, Solomon's temple, is a shadow of the things to come, the church. And just as important, Solomon's temple is a shadow of you as an individual Christian. If there was meaning in all the furniture inside that temple, that means all that furniture is in you as a temple. Because remember, it's not just the church that is his temple. The individual Christian is also a temple of the Holy Spirit. What's the direct application? Why is 1 Kings 7 important for me as a Christian today? God furnishes our souls with everything we need. You're not meant to be an empty, hollow place. I prayed a prayer, I got baptized, I'm doing the thing, what do you want me to do? No, there's details, there's beauty, there's intricacy. And it's wrapped up in your story, it's wrapped up in your gifting, it's wrapped up in your personality, it's wrapped up in your hopes, it's wrapped up in your fears, it's wrapped up in all of this thing that's called life. But in the most important place, this little holy place, and then the most holy place, your spirit and your soul, God furnishes everything that you need. And he cares about what's going on in there. And you have access to it. You have access to it. The pillars in your soul. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian because God has established you. Not because of anything you've done, not because of how you clean yourself up, because of what Jesus did on the cross, He's the one who establishes. He's the one who says, she's mine, he's mine, they're one of mine. And it's by his strength. You don't stay a Christian by being perfect. You don't stay a Christian by white knuckling it. You don't stay a Christian because, well, I persevere. I'm a good Christian, not a slacker Christian. The only reason you're strong is because the pillar of Boaz. He establishes by his strength. I'm getting a little worked up. Third service, when this is over, I'm gonna need a nap. You're cleansed. 
You're cleansed by that water that's in the sea. And by the way, with the sea, he brings peace to your chaos. This is a chaotic time, is it not? Christmas can be so chaotic when all that you thought you were good and you're not good because I don't know, what do I want to buy for these kids? And what if they don't get what they want? What if I don't get what I want? What if we don't have enough money for what we want? But they sent us a Christmas card last year. We didn't, need to send a, we didn't even take a family photo to do the little fridge thing. <laughs> what am I gonna do? I don't like figgy pudding. There's chaos and I'm just being silly. But you know what? If you know Jesus, he brings peace to that chaos because really, does the rest of it matter? This was brought right to the forefront of my mind. I met a wonderful man of God just this week. I'd heard a lot about him and then I just met him, met him at a wedding and we're just kind of talking and he's telling me about his spiritual journey. I'm telling about mine. That's my wife right over there. And she goes, yeah, she has brain cancer. And I was like, I'm so sorry. He goes, well, you know. And I asked, I, I'm now I'm bumbling over my words and I'm, I'm trying to find out. It's like, she has brain cancer. There's not a whole lot they can do. It's like, in a nice way, I'm trying to say, well, how much time? Or, or, or what's the prognosis? And he said, well, uh, well, he goes, look, John, we're all terminal. And I realized this was a man to be reckoned with because this man had an eternal perspective. And I also saw peace in chaos. Loved his wife, doesn't want to lose his wife. And he could have given me all the lists. You know what he said? Hey, bud, look, we're all terminal. Wow. Chew on that. But there was peace in his chaos. We're reminded that the same Jesus who holds the world in his hands, who created the sea and holds the sea in his hands, the one who parted the sea, also told the sea to be still. The waves still obey because they, they know his name. He brings peace and chaos. That's one of the furnishings in our soul. The carts, the utensils for the purification with that water, we're reminded that it's only by God's cleansing that we're made holy. I don't care how good you think you are. I don't, know, I don't care how bad you think you are. The only way we're good or bad, any righteousness only comes from the cleansing of Jesus Christ. My best efforts, I'm still dirty. My best efforts, I'm still unrighteous. And that's part of the furnishing, that we've got this above ground pool in our hearts up on the back of oxen facing north, south, east, and west. I don't know if that's literal, but that was, just go there. We have cleansing. We have cleansing, that there's an altar, like the altar of incense, and that my prayers rise to heaven and God hears those prayers. I've said it before, I gotta say it again. My prayers aren't any more powerful than yours are. The book of Hebrews says, because of what Jesus did on the cross, he broke down the barrier between us and God, that if I believe in Christ by faith, I can boldly come before the throne. The moment of his death, the veil was torn in two, the holy place and the most holy place you have access to. The smallest child by faith, a prayer to God, hears just as much as all the rest of ours put together. And it's like a sweet aroma of incense rising to God the Father the table of, of, of the bread of the presence, that he's our provider. You think you're, you're, you're a good businessman? You think you work hard? You think you can figure out your bills? You think you've got it all sorted out? Only by the breath and the brain and the provision of God himself do you eat this afternoon.
Well, I'm not a legalist Christian. That's why we don't pray before our meal. Eh, you know, we just pray whenever, whatever. Just see. You know you don't have that bread or those Chick-fil-A nuggets. Not on Sunday. Without God's provision. That's why we've been reminding people, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. All these things will be provided for. That's part of the furnishing that he puts in our souls. And then the lampstands. You know, Jesus said that he was, he was the bread of life. But he also said that he was the light of the world. All of the imagery and the stuff Jesus said goes right back to this temple. And that's a bold thing for the son of God to say, for any man to say that I'm the light of the world. By me, I make the rest of the world make sense. That I'm the one, the light of my life brings joy to your life. I'm the one that everyone is reflecting. That's a big thing for him to say. That Jesus is the light of the world reflected in the lampstand in my soul. But he also said, you are the light of the world. One of the reasons I love church so much is, is that, you know, I got my little light and you got your little light. Let your little light shine, camper, right? But then when all the lights come together, it's a brighter Light, and then he's the light in the presence of this place, and we're like a light shining in the darkness. God furnishes our souls with everything we need. He did not mean to leave us empty. That's why Jesus came. And, and the reason this is important, some of us are Christians, but we never utilize the furnishings, or we never realize that they're for our use. And as I've said, it's kind of like that weirdo great aunt that you had that left the plastic on the couch so the, you know, the nieces, nephews, and grandkids wouldn't mess it up. And some of us today need to tear off the plastic and use the furnishings and the furniture that he intended for our life and for our use. And you know what? There's great beauty. It's intricate. It matters. It's not just practical. You're just not just a number. Isn't it good to know to God you're not just a number? That every soul gets custom furnished and custom made. We got the same things, but it's different shapes. It brings me to the second thing, and, and you can say what you want about chapter seven, and, and there's a reason I read all of it. I mean, there's a reason I chose the CSB so we didn't have to talk about cubits. We got feet, right? But it can feel dense and it can feel confusing and it can feel complicated and intricate. But that just reminds us again and I believe there's somebody here today or listening or uh, watching online, Buckley or Manistee, that needs to hear about this. If anything you get from this passage, God cares about the details. God cares about the details that you care about. He cares about the details that you don't even know about. We see that all over scripture. We see that all over our lives. I don't know what you brought, what anxiety, what worry, what thing, but he's not gonna see. But what about this? God knows. And that's mind boggling. God cares. And he'll speak to you and show you things in unique ways when you trust him. Do you know that Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse seven, that even the hairs on your head are numbered. 
And the problem is, is you've been in church your whole life. Well, I know, even the numbers on your hair. No, think about that for a minute. How many hairs you got? Has anyone ever counted them? Do you wake up in the morning and do a quick count before you head off to you know, your daily whatever? And do I really need to know that number? Now, backstage, we were talking about this last night, and Martin Rizzi was offended. <laughs> but even he's got hair because he's decided to go with the slick look that he takes. But he knows how few he's got. He knows I got the little receder going. My wife says, well, that makes you look distinguished, so whatever. <laughs> but I'm not interested in the exact number of hairs that are on my head or yours. Apparently, God is. Someone's in charge, or God just knows, how many hairs you have on your dome. You don't think God cares about the details? Why the pomegranates and the latticework and the gourds and, the, and even some of the little statues of things that just were supporting things that are way up high we're never going to see? God cares. God cares about details. The details of your worry, the details of your day, the details of the future, the details of the past. Some of us are so wound up in the past and we forget Jesus died for sins of the past, for the present, and the future. He's got it. You can breathe for a minute. Martha. Sorry, that was a Martha Mary reference. This is the last ser service. You're not going in anywhere. I, I was just thinking, this is the bonus. They didn't get this in the other one, but I just thought about this. So this campus, Cadillac, God has provided for detail after detail after detail. All I was concerned about was getting a building. I got a building, just like my first apartment. Oh, this is going to be work. We can afford it. This is great. Then we're out of money. Now we got to renovate it because it looked like sixth graders have been renovating it, right? <laughs> got to look like the tab. So now we're getting bids, this bid, that bid. How much is that going to cost? And, you know, giving hasn't caught up with the, with the budget. And then, you know, summer happened and everyone forgets about church in the summer. That wasn't passive aggressive. That was aggressive aggressive. But anyways, <laughs> so then we're just trying to catch up. Where's the money going to come? And so then there's a little detail. We get this, we get a number. We get a number. And, and it's not important, the number. The number's a miracle in itself that it's going to, hey, the renovation for all these phases is going to be $200,000. Okay, can we even get financing for that, right? And I won't go into the details. We got great credit, don't worry, but the, the, the financing we want, right? Well, somebody else is working on financing. Finance guy comes back, knows nothing about how much we need. We're just, hey, can we get a renovation loan? And on the same day, we find out that, oh, listen, it's, it's a miracle that you're going to get this for 200K. Financing goes, all I can loan you is 200K. Details. A couple weeks later, I'm, uh, I'm crossing guard for the day. Some of you gave me a hard time about that. I was being crossing guard right out here. And I had just heard from Pastor John Williams, who's done more work, it feels like, on T13 than anybody else, right? He just said, I, you know, I said to him, hey, um, how much does the renovation uh, cover? And he goes, uh, John, essentially, uh, the words he used is we're going to come all the way up and stop at the countertops in the cafe. We're going to do all the stuff, all the stuff on the inside, all the stuff on the outside, but it, it, it doesn't cover the countertops. It starts right at the countertops. I was like, cool, all that? That's phase one, two, and part of three? Oh, sweet, comes right up to the countertops. And that word's in my head, countertops. Stops at the countertops. All right, we'll, we'll figure something out, right? 
I'm crossing guard for the day. Bro's walking out. Hey, good to see you. Chuck and jive, chuck and jive. Turns around and goes, hey, what's the plan for the countertops? I said, you need to go find John Williams right now. Are you feeling me? God cares about the details. And apparently wasn't done with countertops because John just told me this past week, they came under budget. And so apparently a countertop I wasn't thinking about is in the men's and women's bathroom. And it was going to be jank. But now with the savings, we have enough for those countertops. I think I need to get a tattoo. I'm going to get a tattoo that says 200K countertops. Just to remind myself when I get stupid that God furnishes not only our souls with everything we need, but someone needs to hear this. God cares about the details. He cares about them more than you do. You can trust that. And he's furnishing us with what we need. If you don't have those furnishings, today would be a great day to become a Christian because you're in an empty, godless shell of a place. And my house is furnished by God who cares about the details. If you are a Christian, maybe you need to hear today, it's time to realize that, you know what? He's provided for you. You got more than a sheet on the window. You got gold. It's not about your strength, it's his strength. It's not about you being holy, it's he cleanses us through the waters of his spirit and the waters of baptism. That he's the light, you're not the light, he's the light. Bread, he'll provide. It's the bread of the presence. And then when our prayers and our worship are like incense rising up to heaven, some of us need to believe that. Some of us need to trust that. So I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads. This is a weekend where we get to celebrate communion together. And so we'll do that in a few moments and our campus pastors are gonna come and lead us through that time. But before we get there, if you are a Christian, we're reminded that we only come to God by confessing our sin. And that's a dangerous thing to take communion with, with, with sin in your life. And that he always forgives us of our sin. And so we prepare our hearts for communion. And some of us who aren't Christians, are just a reminder, communion's not for you. You're invited to take communion, but only if you're making a decision today to trust Christ as your savior and become a member of the family of the child of God become a child of God. And I wonder maybe if we take communion together in this first worship weekend in December, if maybe the picture in our minds will be of what God's doing inside, the furniture that he's given, the furnishings that he's provided for our souls. And if there are details that you have been distracted by that are causing the stress, the anxiety, the worry, Maybe this is a day again to say, God, I know you care about these details and I'm giving them to you. So Seth and man of Steve Martin here, would you come and lead us?